Okay, pleased to be joined once again by Alex McLean. What's cracking, Alex? Uh, not too much. Had a nice relaxing weekend, just uh, sitting by my parents' pool for a little bit. And uh, yeah, not, uh, not too much going on. Have a camping trip coming up over the next few days, our 20th annual one into Algonquin. So that should be uh, fun to get away for a little bit because I haven't been cooped up for the last few months uh starting to go a little stir crazy but in the meantime just happy to have some hockey to look forward to absolutely we are a week away and i i just i'm a little bit disappointed you didn't pick up on my seattle pun so um we're, we're off i'm to, disappointed uh, in myself yeah so um you know, I I think that uh, I think that it's really important that you're able to get away, and I'm really glad for you that uh, you're able to maintain that uh, tradition. Do you just completely unplug when you go into Algonquin, and you just don't see anything at all? Yeah, it's me, my dad, and my brother, and that's what we've done for the last twenty years. And it's just a few days of uh, camping, swimming roasting marshmallows figuring out what we can uh where we can go and what we can see oh that sounds fantastic i've never gotten to explore algonquin i've never made it over that way but uh my brother was there recently and uh he he loves it it's uh that's god's playground right there that's for sure yeah there's a reason we've gone back for 20 years absolutely so uh, th that's wonderful. Um, the circling things back around to hockey, though, because that's why I think people are tuning into this. Um, yeah, what what did you think about the the Seattle reveal of their name? Are you on board, or what what do you think? I'm on board. I thought uh, I thought Kraken was generally the one that seemed to have the most favor in the general public eye. So I completely understand why they went with it. I think. There's the odd complaint here and there of, oh, it's not a uh, Pacific Northwest kind of thing, or it's an imaginary creature or whatever, but it, it's all for fun. You don't have penguins in Pittsburgh, all of that kind of thing. It's a great name. It's an awesome color scheme. I really like the jerseys, the logos they hit it out of the park with, and uh, it's going to be fun to have a team there. Yeah, I, I'm on board as well. Did you see the guy who already got the tattoo that blends the two different logos together with the S wrapping around the anchor? That that was amazing. I think uh, they should have an alternate jersey with that on it. Yeah, that it's it's like oh, damn it, we we already figured out that our logo isn't as optimized as it could be. Um, yeah, day one, it's been one upped. Yeah, I also. Like, I, I like the logo, but when Jesse Marshall tweeted out that their logo looks like Trogdor, the Burninator, um, <laughs> I can't get that image out of my head. And as much as I, I really like it, I, I, I like the name, I like the logo, I like the color scheme, I'm on board with all of it. I'm also going to always make fun of them for looking like Trogdor. And it, <laughs> I, I don't know, I, I don't view it as a negative. I think I can keep two things in my mind at the same time. Um, mm -hmm. and, but certainly I can't unsee Trogdor as being what their logo looks like. 
Yeah, I guess that's just one thing we're going to have to live with now that they're going to be a staple in the league. Absolutely. And the other thing that people like the, the PC police are already out because people want to call their arena, the crack house, because the name is way too long and they want to call the fans, the crackheads. And I totally get where people are coming from that they don't find that funny, but I don't know. I find it funny and I don't think it's punching down. I'm, I'm, I'm going to laugh at it. And I think that, I don't know, it's, it's going to be a rallying point, whether you like it or not, uh, it's going to happen. And I think you're, I think you're a little bit humorless if you're just constantly looking for things to rail against. Yeah. I I mean, you definitely don't want to belittle kind of what it could represent and the issues that uh, can arise with that kind of thing. But if it's just taken in the context of the hockey fans and of the hockey team, then yeah, it's entertaining and uh, you can kind of enjoy that and enjoy a laugh around it. Exactly. It's, it's similar to the Trogdor thing, right? Like I, I love the logo and I lo- like, I love everything that, that it represents, but also like in the back of my mind, there's a, just a little bit of Trogdor happening there, right? I can keep the two <laughs> things in my mind. I can understand that like the, the systemic issues that result in, in people abusing drugs is not always something to make light of, but at the same time, like, I don't know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, okay, so uh, circling around to today's topic, you had some interesting articles regarding the flat cap situation and how this is all going to play out. Uh, and like you've you've released new projections for uh, what what free agents are going to get uh, in this summer. Uh, in this summer's free agency, what uh, what cap numbers we can we can assume they're going to get. And so that kind of brought me to the idea of, well, who has the most on the line in this year's playoffs? Like who can, who could do some damage with a, with a really strong playoffs or do some damage to themselves with a a really weak one. Um, So I figure we do a a top 10 and we'll run down kind of from the top to the bottom. But before we dive in, I think the, the best place to start is, eliminating some guys who didn't make the list because no matter what they do, they're going to get paid. Yeah. And I think with that, you end up with kind of the top names. They're going to get paid no matter what they do. You're going to have Alex Petrandolo just won a cup. You're going to have Taylor Hall uh, is going to get paid. He's the top guy on the market. You have guys like Matthew Barzell, Pierre-Luc Dubois, it doesn't really matter what they're going to do. They're going to get their money. I think we're going to see it's the kind of middle-tier players, uh, the Tyson Berries, the Michael Granlins that have disappointed. And it's those players where the expectations were so high, the production was so low, that if they can up that production even just for a short window, they can say, yeah, I can get back to getting paid for that initial expectation I was supposed to have coming into, into the season. Interesting. See, I, 
I lumped Barry closer in with uh, Petrangelo and, and Tori Krug. Um, like, I don't think he's going to get the eight-year, $8 million deal that mm-hmm. he was reportedly seeking, but mm-hmm. that's just because of the flat <clears throat> cap. But I don't think that – like, what he does is what teams are looking for, so I think that there's enough of uh, scarcity of that type of talent that he's still going to find a way – to get paid. And I don't think that his season was so bad, like as much as Lee fans, I'm sure are not pleased with what they got out of Barry this season, he was still mm-hmm. good. And he's been much better under Sheldon Keefe. And I just like, he was really good for the abs in the playoffs last year. So he's, he's done it before. And I just, I don't see his playoff performance impacting this one way or the other. I think he's, He's in that upper echelon of guys as well, even though I don't quite put him on the same plane as Petrangelo mm-hmm. and Krug. I just I think that there's there's going to be money for him somewhere. That that's fair. I think he he definitely has that right-handed D uh, kind of scarcity going for him to drive up his market value. But I think with the kind of just the perception of his season that there is an upside to if he really plays some good shutdown defense and is able to put up some points in the playoffs, he can really drive it up even further. So what do you think the, the high water mark for him is then? Uh, I think it's probably around 7 million at this point. Uh, just kind of tweaking some numbers in my little uh, spreadsheet here. And I think high water mark is about 7 million. I don't think he's getting up to eight, especially with the flat cap. And uh, current conditions, if the Leafs got out in the first uh, kind of play-in series and Barry was about where he's been throughout the season, then I think he's kind of in that five range, even though the numbers show him down at a little over four. And is, do you have him projected to get uh, a lot of term? I've kind of stopped trying to project term. I don't find it all that useful in terms of trying to project it. And I don't think that there's much, uh, like it's, it's complicated to try and figure out a way how to do it. And I don't think there's much reward for the effort. So I, I kind of just end up going for the AAV knowing that, yeah, these guys are going to get longer term. These guys are going to get shorter term with the AAV, if it shows up lower than I'm thinking, okay, yeah, it's, it makes sense that he would sign a bridge deal for that kind of low term, or if it's a higher number then yeah, it's longer years. Interesting. Um, so Barry, I take it, he did make your list of guys who could uh, pop up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I've got a few more who are on my list of guys who didn't make my list. If, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, so I think Mike Hoffman and Evgeny Dodonov, those guys, while the Panthers probably can't re-sign both of them, people mm-hmm. pay for goals. And these guys are both in the top 40 for goals over the past two years. Like Hoffman's yeah. 16th and Dodonov's 37th. They're both over 50 goals the last two years. And that's factoring in the, the fact that this season was shortened. So I think that those guys will find a way to get paid regardless. Yeah, I agree with that. They're, you know what to expect from them. So you can feel comfortable in paying 
kind of the higher market price for what you're going to get from them. And then uh, I had Tyler Toffoli on my list because apparently uh, he has nothing more to prove to the Canucks. He played, what, 10 mm -hmm. games for them, was a point per game, and they're ready to be rid of Brock Besser. He's off the top line. He's off the top power play, and they're already having internal discussions about trading him for defensive help uh, and allowing Toffoli to fill the void and you know, my experience with this being trading Taylor Hall for Adam Larson and then signing Milan Lucic, uh, I'm just completely scarred and I don't think I'm capable of being objective uh, when looking at this sort of situation. But, uh, you know, when I, when I brought up that example, like uh, people push back and there have been examples of good deals uh, where teams have been able to trade young forwards and get back good defensemen. So I guess it's a situation that's worth exploring for the Canucks, but um, yeah, in any case, Toffoli apparently has nothing left to prove. Yeah. Toffoli, it sounds like is going to resign with the Canucks and if not, somebody else is going to pay him for it. He's done a good job, uh, especially in those last few games with the Canucks he's fit in. I don't think a bad playoffs will really tarnish his uh, numbers enough to drop down his value to a significant amount. So, yeah, I think he's pretty settled into getting a solid contract next uh, whenever free agency opens, I guess. Yeah, and if I was him, I would probably sign that contract now, knowing that there's probably not much he can do to drive his value up, but mm -hmm. an injury could derail that contract. Yeah. Yeah. There's always that uh, to consider in the back of your mind. Yeah. I, I figured I'd point that out for, because that's going to be a consideration for all of these players. Uh, mm -hmm. And then the last thing was basically any RFA. Like we just watched Oscar Lindblom. He got a two year, $3 million AAV bridge deal, which is basically standard for uh, that, that type of middle six winger. We saw Kasperi Kapanen and, uh, Andreas Janssen, they got that sort of deal from the Leafs last summer. So it doesn't seem like the RFA dollars have gone down and teams find a way to find the dollars to lock up their young talent while they still have exclusive rights. And, you know, whether it's through bridge deals, we know all the, all the Tampa Bay guys are going to get put onto bridge deals. Um, the RFAs, they just don't have that much leverage. And I also wonder if we don't see a, a little bit of a closing of the loophole that uh, Matthew Kachuk and Wierenski and Timo Meyer they exploited last summer with, with their bridge deals that had that massive final year spike because the, the, new, the new CBA, it, uh, it capped that out at you can only make... Um, 120% your qualifying offer can only be 120% of what the AAV of your contract is. So instead mm -hmm. of like Timo Meyer, his four-year deal is six, $6 million AAV, but if his salary was flat, then his qualifying offer would be 6 million. Instead, his final year is all the way up to 10 million. That's a huge advantage for him. It almost turns that contract into a five-year deal because or it walks them to free agency if San Jose decides they can't afford 10 million on, uh, for an extra year, um, mm -hmm. because that's that's what they have to qualify him at. Um, 
And so it, it's a little bit reminiscent of, of Kirk Cousins signing one-year franchise tags in the NFL in order to get himself to unrestricted free agency as, as fast as possible. And we know quarterbacks in the NFL, they just they don't get to unrestricted free agency that often. Um, so I think that like the good news for those guys is that the 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 contract, their contracts are grandfathered in. So their qualifying offers are, are going to have to be high. But like for Meyer, it's if someone was to go a similar route, um, his qualifying offer would be 7.2 million, which is still like phenomenal, but mm -hmm. it, it wouldn't be the, the 10 million and, and putting them up into superstar range um, like his current contract is. So do you think there's going to be another loophole like this? Or are we just going to see these contracts uh, used, but just at a, a lower scale than, than what Meyer and Kachuk were able to take advantage of? Uh, I think it sounds like they generally closed that loophole, but doesn't mean there's not another one that's opened up somewhere else that they're going to find in the next year or two. seems like there's always something to take advantage of for one side or the other. I, I agree that it seems like the players have figured out that that's definitely a good option and even 120% of what uh, they're making, if they can basically guarantee that as their qualifying offer coming out of the contract, that's a great guarantee to have uh, for the player. And I could see players still wanting to go down that road, even though it's not to the extent that Meyer, Meyer and Wierenski and a few other players took advantage of. Uh, I just wanted to kind of go over, you mentioned that the RFAs are generally going to be safe in their contract value kind of thing. And I just wanted to kind of mention that I think you're correct in that the earlier RFAs should be safe for signing their bridge deals. Not much can, is going to change, but the later ones that are maybe a year or so away from unrestricted free agency the Max Domies of the world. I think they're going to be, since they're looking to lock up UFA years, even though he's still in RFA, I think they're going to be on the hot seat in terms of trying to keep their value up and bringing it up from possible disappointing seasons, that kind of thing. I think they have a lot more to lose as they're likely looking to sign uh, bigger long-term contracts moving forward. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't really consider, I do have one RFA on my list and we'll get to him when we get to him, but um, I didn't consider the domies of the world. Uh, just in general on this RFA crop, like I, I didn't find it nearly as interesting as what last year's was and also not nearly as interesting as what next year's looks like it's going to be with Svechnikov and Darlene and other guys coming up. I mean, mm -hmm. Barzal is, he's the headliner, but he's, he's not quite on the same level. And I mean, for a few reasons, right? Like the, the Barry Trot system keeps Barzal from putting up crazy offensive numbers that would have him paid like a superstar. And then I, you know, th there's this narrative that uh, the agents for Marner and Matthews, they were kind of able to push Kyle Dubas around in a way that they wouldn't have been able to uh, Lou Lamorello and Lou Lamorello is the Islanders uh, head man now. So I wonder if, uh, if the agents for Barzell and, and Barzell himself are going to be able to find that kind of leverage to get a, 
a crazy deal like Matthews and Marner were able to out of their entry level deals. Yeah, it's it's tough for Barzell, as you mentioned. He doesn't really have those same offensive numbers and that same offensive system. So it's tough to kind of really vouch for him just based on numbers, even though his metrics and everything below that look amazing, uh, just possession-wise. And I think you could probably pull that uh, out of context and say, yeah, he's worth a lot. But in context, the whole system seems to bring up the underlying numbers of a lot of the players so yeah he's probably not looking for Matthews and Marner money and he won't get that but he should still be able to crack uh, at least the eight million dollar mark if he's signing a long-term six seven eight year deal see and I think he like I know the cap's flat, but just looking at what some of the RFAs got on shorter bridge deals, he should at least be able to get Matthew Kachuk type money on a shorter term bridge. And mm-hmm. we neglected to bring up the Islanders as a, as a team heavily impacted by the flat cap on our last pod, or at least if I remember it correctly, they've only got 8 million to sign their, their three RFAs with Barzell Uh, Ryan Pulak and Devin Taves and the latter two have arbitration rights. So they find themselves in quite the pickle and, you know, that, that JG Peugeot extension doesn't look great. Certainly the Varlamov contract is looking terrible. Like they wouldn't give Robin Lehner term, but they're, they gave him term. That's, uh, I don't know, just, just some interesting choices. And I guess uh, they're headed for some bios. Yeah. I, I realized that the next day after we, recorded that that the islanders should have been brought up as one of the teams with a big cap crunch coming up i i think you could look at their eight million dollar cap space and that's taken up completely by barzell or almost completely by pulak on their own and then you have devon Tays, who they definitely don't want to lose so yeah they're they're gonna have to find some creative ways to lose some money whether it's shipping off the Matt Martins and Cal Clutterbucks, whether it's uh, buying out Semi and Barlamov, I don't even know what that would look like, or finding a way to unload Johnny Boychuk's last couple of years, which <laughs> haven't looked good at any point. Yeah, I, I wonder, I I wonder think... if uh, Lou doesn't uh, find a new version of Robida Island on uh, Long Island there. Yeah, some version of it, some new creative Narnia to send them to. <laughs> I think there's also Andrew Ladd. I'm not sure how his uh, number affects the future cap and what that looks like uh, off the top of my head. But I think he's definitely a candidate for Robodog, Narnia Island of some sort. Yeah, those summer of 16 contracts, no one did well that summer. No, not at all. Except for the players. They got paid. And good for them. Uh, Yeah what they're there for right uh so we've broken down who isn't on our list uh alex why don't you fire off the name at the top of your list who has the absolute most at stake this summer i I think it's Braden holpe i think uh, especially with the recent news that Ilyas uh samsonov is out and you have holpe who the capitals are now going to have to run with uh rain or shine 
he's either going to bring back up his market value to show that he can carry a team through the playoffs or he's going to crash and burn and everybody's going to say, yeah, you're done. He's going to get a one-year contract for a couple of million, similar to what Laner's been getting uh, the last few years, just to prove it deal. And there's not a lot of starting goalie spots to go around at the moment. So he could be kind of sitting the last guy uh, without a chair in the musical chairs kind of thing with the goalies. And I, I think he has a ton to lose. Yeah, he was the number one guy on my list. But uh, just just hearing the, the, the way you, that you put it, uh, I take it you're not a Phoenix Copley stand. I, I think Copley has some potential, but throwing him in there at this point with so little NHL experience, I, I don't think it's a recipe for success. And I think the Capitals, especially being an older team, they're going to live or die with the guys they have and the guys that have done it for them before. Well, yeah, and that kind of brings up this trend that's uh, been taking place with the Capitals where they've been handing out legacy contracts to basically everyone. And mm-hmm. so I wonder if Holtby's 2018 Cup run alone guarantees that he's going to get paid by them. And if it, if it almost doesn't matter what he does this summer, like it's, it's, it's an interesting philosophical question. Like we know that he's been underwater for three years running almost. And it it took an epic playoff run uh, in 2018 after a bad season for him to prove himself and, and you know it, it all worked out right like he he mm-hmm. stole the job back from Philip Grubauer they went all the way to the cup water fountains immortality it's all there and that that legacy is going to to be there with him for the rest of his career and beyond it right he's always going to be a cup champion but he's bottom 10 in the league and goal saved above average over the past three years and I do wonder if there isn't something about the way that the Capitals kind of play fast and loose that it it drags his numbers down from where it was when, uh, when he was at his peak or if some of that's just a degrading in his own athleticism, like they, in in that cup winning season, they they had to go out and add Michael Kempney at the trade deadline. And it it proved a, a really inexpensive, but hugely important fix for them. And the, the philosophical argument is whether it's, it would be more valuable to spend in net on a guy that you know has gotten you there before or kind of go for more of a 1B option to pair up with Samsonov going forward and putting that money to better use on the defense corps that we know has degraded despite uh, John Carlson putting forth what could win him the Norris this year. Yeah, it's definitely a good uh, thought experiment. And just looking at their cap friendly page right now, they do have the money if they wanted to, to re-sign him. They have 10 million and they have a few depth roster spots to fill out in addition to their second goalie. So they could give Braden Holtby another 6 million for a few years they wouldn't have room to give him more than that, but they could give him uh, $6 million for a few years and fill out their depth roster spots with a few other kind of one, one and a half million dollar contracts to Brendan Dillon, Jonas Siegenthaler, and 
somebody else and move forward from there and they'd be fine cap wise. So they could manage it, but uh, I, I just don't really see it. It kind of has that feeling of, yeah, he's going to be let go by the team. They've, they're moving on. They're going with the Samson of moving forward. And it, it just seems inevitable at this point that he's moving on. I, I could be wrong. And for Hopi's sake, it would be nice to be wrong because he was a big part of those teams. And he, if anybody deserves one of those legacy contracts, then he does as well. But uh, yeah, to me, it just seems inevitable that he's moving on at this point. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. The one person that they didn't hand a legacy contract to was Barry Trotz because they had Todd Reardon waiting in the wings. So the fact that they have mm-hmm. Samsonov maybe sets them up. Uh, you brought up the possibility of Holtby signing maybe a little bit shorter term and a little bit less less money than we we might expect. Like certainly below what Sergei Bobrovsky got in free agency last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder if this doesn't become a little bit of a Rini Saros situation where the up and comer never actually up and comes and takes the job. Like Saros has been on our radar for, I don't know, five years now, and he still hasn't claimed that number one job in Nashville. So, you know, getting back to that philosophical question, if you don't have the guy who you're certain can do it for you, then maybe spending for the guy who has done it for you before doesn't ensure that you don't run into a glass ceiling with, uh, with that up and comer. Yeah. And uh, funnily enough that you mentioned Rene, uh, I have the initial framework of a set of salary cap goalie rankings and salary projections underway. And the very preliminary number for Braden Holtby is 4.8 million uh, for his next contract, which would very much so fall in line with Rene's five that uh, the Nashville Predators gave to him to kind of still be around while UC Saros kind of jumped up an extra five starts every year until he's ready to go 50 in a season. And that could work for Holtby going one or two years at 5 million and sticking around just to make sure Samson Isles ready. And they both take 40 starts a year for the next two years and move on from there. That could feasibly seem to work for everyone involved. And it's crazy that you've got him coming in at 4.8 when that's basically half of what Bobrovsky got uh Mm -hmm. from the florida panthers and a does that type of contract even exist for a goalie uh seeing how it went for bobrovsky this past year uh currently there are three goalies that are projected to be worth a 10 million dollar contract bennington vasilevsky and tukarask so it does exist it's not quite the unicorn that it should be but uh, yeah, there aren't uh, there aren't too many that I would be comfortable giving that kind of money to. Right, and we also don't have Florida as a possible destination for uh, another goalie because they've tied up that money with Bobrovsky, so they're not going to do it again. And they're probably <laughs> the biggest fools on the market uh, in terms of this stuff. So 
un unfortunate timing, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially now that they stand to lose uh, Dadanov and Hoffman because of it, especially with the flat cap that they're just they're tied up even more uh, in terms of having to lose that much more money and not have that to spend on their forward core that is going to look very different going into next season. But at least they have Huberdeau and Barkov locked up for a couple more years on bargain deals. Um, mm -hmm. Alex, you pegged the number one guy on my list as well. Uh, Holtby had the, has the most at stake in these playoffs. So let's see if he does it. Uh, number two on my list, I kind of threw these two together. Uh, Jeff Ward and Rick Bonus, the coaches for the Flames and the Stars. Yeah, that, uh, that makes sense. I kind of had uh, the Flames in there. I, I don't know if I necessarily had their head coach as the specific guy on the hot seat. On the hot seat, I think Goodrow, Monahan, and their GM Brad Trailiving, they all have some pressure on them. Looking around, it seemed like most of the Canadian markets did, but uh, especially the Flames, they need to show something, especially after last year's poor showing. I. I can get on board that uh, their coach might be the first one to go as that seems to be the easiest change to make for NHL teams. But I don't know if he's really the problem with that team. So that'll be interesting if they do struggle to see what kind of changes they do make. As for the Dallas side, I don't know if I really see a lot of uh, pressure on them in terms of having to uh, have an excellent showing. They had a decent run, I think, into the conference finals last year. It was, the, it was the second round, and they lost in game seven, maybe even overtime okay. to the Blues, but they were right there, and then, mm -hmm. and then the Blues beat the Sharks, right? Yeah, and, and they're in the uh, round robin this year, so they're guaranteed into the first round. And I, I don't know if I see that same pressure, especially on their head coach, being that he's kind of in his – first year with them since Jim Montgomery uh, stepped down mid-season. So I don't know if he's really win and we love you or lose and yeah, you might be gone. I don't know if he's quite there yet, but uh, definitely some kind of uncertain feelings around Dallas with uh, the way they're trending right now. So I, I, I don't fully disagree, but I don't think they're quite on the same hot seat as maybe some other players and coaches might be well so here's the case for dallas and it's mm -hmm. just the fact that bonus is a interim coach right like we saw craig berube he took the interim tag and he ran it all the way to the cup final and now his like he's he'll he'll coach forever uh whenever like as as long as he wants to right you do that you get it forever so mm -hmm. but this could be bonus's only chance right like if they fizzle out in in round one then they could look for someone more proven i think it was gerard gallant was their was their number one choice in the last hiring but he chose to go to vegas so they could that's a rock that they could turn over with uh, gallant being available um yeah, you're right. Like the, the Dallas situation, it does feel more stable, right? Like bonus stepped in and it was basically the same system, same idea, same stifling 
defensive play. And the, the numbers look pretty good. Like they were 10th in points percentage uh, since bonus took over, but it just, it feels a little bit like fool's goal. Like they, they've been underwater in Corsi four percentage goals, four percentage, and they're just they're just a dull team. And it wasn't that long ago that Lindy Ruff had them playing as the most exciting team in the NHL. And they've added talented youngsters like Miro Heiskanen, Denis Gurionov, and Rupa Hintz. And I don't know, just as much as they can grind things to a halt, like I, I'm just looking for from an Edmonton perspective if they if the Oilers can win their their play-in round against the Blackhawks the team I want to play is is the Dallas Stars because everyone else looks like a juggernaut and the Mm. Stars just don't so I I could easily see them getting upset after the first round of the playoffs and are you bringing that coach back or are you are you going hunting for a bigger name That's definitely a fair point with uh, the interim tag. I hadn't really looked into kind of whether he was tagged as an interim guy or full-time guy, but not that it usually makes too much of a difference in the NHL world, but you're right that it is very possible, maybe even likely that they look in another direction if they don't. Yeah. Maybe even all the way to the finals. Yeah. I, I think that he has to do, that team has to have some real success for him to be brought back. Uh, and then Jeff Ward, like you, I, I almost had Brad tree living on this list, but um, because this whole, like the whole, you, you, you brought it up, like the whole Calgary situation, just, it has this weird stink to it, right? Like is, mm-hmm. is Johnny Gaudreau going to be the face of their franchise? He's only a couple of years out from being an unrestricted free agent and everyone wants to put him back in Philly where he's from that type of stuff doesn't always work out and it doesn't always happen, but they've kind of got this, this aging core that like, it's not actually that old, but it just feels like they've been around for a while and they've never done anything in tree living six years. He's, he's the 10th longest tenured GM and they've made the playoffs half of the years that he's been there but they've never won around. They've never really done anything. Um, he did navigate that shit sandwich of a situation with Bill Peters fairly well. Um, so maybe having done that, that gives them a chance to hire the next coach, whether it's, it's keeping Jeff Ward in place or bringing someone new in. Um, I, I could see that being the case. They've made some major moves over the years and, while it kind of sucks that they traded two number one defensemen in the same trade uh, to get Elias Lindholm and Noah Hannafin, they still did pretty well with that. Like Elias Lindholm, very good player, good contract. And the reality is they probably were never going to be able to get Adam Fox signed. So he was, he was almost a throw in. You just kind of have to write that part of the deal Mm -hmm. off. Um, they've done a decent job of, of, of stocking the pipeline. Like, I, I don't know. It, it, it just seems like you, you, it seems like this team could be heading towards a, a massive breakup uh, if things don't go well. But at the same time, I, do, I just think that he, he got the opportunity to navigate that Bill Peters situation and he seemed to do well with it. So I, I don't necessarily know that he's on the chopping block but it, it's pretty obvious that 
if tree living's gone, like Jeff Ward's not going to be back. They're not going to keep the interim guy around. If you're firing the GM, you're mm -hmm. just, you're going to allow the new GM to hire someone. So it's much easier to, to peg the coach as on the hot seat. Um, and, and Ward has done a good job, right? Ninth in points percentage since he took over. Uh, the Flames are 13th in goals for percentage, 51.5%. They've, they've been doing fairly well. Um, negative possession team. And you wonder if, if this is an, a little bit of a PDO run and, and just a bump uh, with under the new coach. So I, I don't know. Buzzards are probably going to be circling if they lose to Winnipeg. But uh, it definitely for the coach and, and maybe also possibly for the GM. Yeah, I, I can definitely get on board with that assessment. Uh, so who is number two on your list? That's a good question. I don't know if I'd fully organize them into one to ten. I generally just had ten. I, I think if I had to put a number two, it probably would be that uh, Calgary set as well. Um, on a, I guess a similar note, but, uh, I feel like it's a different feeling with him is Eric Gustafson and how much he struggled, uh, with Chicago this year before he got dumped to Calgary for almost nothing. And then didn't really shine with Calgary either after his 60 point season last year. And I don't, he can't really be tied to the Calgary core but uh, still another piece of the Calgary puzzle that uh, is looking to really bring back up his value after a very disappointing season. So I think he's someone that has not much more to lose at this point, but possibly a lot to gain if he can uh, show well in two or three rounds with them. If Calgary does end up making that far, then I think he could be looking at uh, a much more lucrative offseason than he's currently looking at right now. Yeah, Gustafson was on my list as well. And you just look at it, like it takes him forever to even get an NHL contract. Chicago gives him a chance. Yeah, he, do, he doesn't play a whole lot his, his first couple of years, I think. And then mm -hmm. he signs this, this short-term bridge deal that uh, extends him to today. And really, really low money. And then he immediately explodes upon signing that contract. 60-point season, um, but then, like you mentioned, he falls right back down to earth and ends up getting – I mean, like Chicago traded him because they weren't expecting to be a playoff team. Uh, they probably wouldn't mind it, keeping him around, but also, like, clear the road for some of their up-and-coming defensemen, like Adam Bookfist. So you could see how this, this shook out and like, he didn't make a huge splash when he landed in Calgary, but they were giving him the top power play minutes and he only played seven games. So it, it really hard to see how that would shake out, but certainly the opportunity could be there for him to have a big playoff run and for Calgary to think that he is a long-term piece for them, especially with the concerns about uh, top defensive prospect, Yusuf Alamaki, like his, is his knee ever going to get right? I don't know, because he was he's kind of been seen as the, the heir apparent in Calgary. They loved him coming out of the draft, and it mm -hmm. looked like he might even make the team as an 18-year-old. And it just he, he's, he's never been able to get healthy, and it, it, it's really unfortunate. So Gustafson 
maybe he becomes a uh, a stopgap option for them. But the, I, I looked into this, and every defenseman in the cap era with a 50-plus point season got a multi-year deal of at least $4 million, if not more, AAV. Like, you're talking like five, six years, four-plus million each year. And, but it doesn't seem like Gustafson may be headed for that. Like it, it seems like he really does have to prove more, even though it, maybe it's just the nature of, of his game being that he's, he's very much offense only where a lot of those other guys were purportedly offering you more, like even Dennis Weidman's and James Wisniewski's were bigger bodies. So you could see why they would get, um, they would kind of get that defensive defenseman type money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting case to see what he does get uh, in the offseason, regardless of how he ends up producing, just uh, whether he can be that first name that doesn't hit that $4 million mark. Yeah, I wonder if he doesn't have to sign another prove-it deal. It, it could be, and it it seems like... I read some comments from him throughout the season. It seemed like uh, his free agent status was really weighing on him and did come with a lot of pressure to him. So I'm wondering if that plays a lot into his kind of decrease in production and decrease in play. And we saw the breakout for him come right after he signed a two-year deal. So maybe that's all he needs. Maybe he signs a, another two-year deal and he has another excellent year uh, because he doesn't have to worry about being a free agent right away after that. And I think that would be, it it seems like it would be something that's up his alley anyway, that would be enticing to him to kind of have that security rather than uh, going for another free agent year, putting that much more pressure on him and possibly not doing much for himself again. Yeah, we know that NHL players, it really seems like they value that long-term security. It's it's really quite rare uh, what guys like Matthews and Marner and Sebastian Ajo did last summer signing five-year deals out of their entry-level contracts instead of mm-hmm. opting for, for the maximum aid. It seems like whenever a player has the chance to, they want to sign for those maximum years and just know this is where I'm going to be. I don't have to move my stuff. Like this is, I want to lock myself in. And everyone talks about, Ooh, the contract year, this guy's in a contract year. Well, Gustafson, perfect example of where the contract year doesn't play out. I think the contract year thing is a bit of horseshit. Like anyone who's counting on that for fantasy Mm -hmm. hockey, you're going to have as many hits as you have misses. Not that there isn't a psychological factor. I really do think that some players do make that extra effort to get everything right and make sure that they're in the best situation possible to get a huge contract in their contract year. But for other players, that sort of process goes awry where they press too hard and it it derails them. So that's just my sense on the psychology of it. I think you get as many Mm -hmm. misses. Yeah. That's generally where I was going with it as well, but yeah, you never know what you're going to get. And it seems like Gustafson's on the other half of it where he's one of those guys that over prepared or over pressured and didn't really end up doing too well with it. 
Mm -hmm. uh, so next up on my list, I had Sammy Votnin, who still hasn't played a game for the Hurricanes, but apparently Dougie Hamilton's hurt again. Uh, it's only mm -hmm. going to be weeks, not months. But suddenly the Hurricanes are looking like they're they're going to be hurting on defense like Brett Pesci he's not back yet he's supposed to be able to get back at some point in this uh this restart but it may not be right out of the gate and they've got that tough matchup against the Rangers who really hosed them all year so getting a guy like Votnin healthy and, and playing productive top four minutes would be huge for them and mm -hmm. if he could prove that he actually is healthy because he has he hasn't played more than 50 games the last in either of the last two seasons. He's been banged up as all hell. Um, he needs to prove that he's healthy and capable of being a top four defenseman again. Otherwise, he's probably headed towards a one-year prove-it deal. That's an interesting uh, name. I didn't actually have him on my list, but uh, I can definitely see where you're coming from on it, that with the injury history there and – kind of the a bit of up and down production throughout his career that he does make sense as someone that uh, really has a lot to maybe he doesn't have a lot more to lose at this point but uh, I there definitely could be a lot to gain if he does show up show he's healthy and put up some points play well in his own end all that kind of thing there is definitely that angle to it I I don't know he just seems like one of those guys in the back of my head that I have pegged as yeah he you kind of see what you get you know what you're going to get with him and he's going to make four and a half maybe five million on the open market this year and everything is as it should be he he just doesn't seem like uh somebody that's all that exciting or somebody that's going to let you down to an extravagant amount so i don't know if that's just my personal feeling or bias kind of getting in there. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting, uh, interesting thought on him. Well, you mentioned that if everything is as it should be, and kind of the reason we're going through this list is because everything is not as it should be. Um, yep. The cap is flat. We're in a pandemic. It, the money isn't going to be there the same way it normally is. And with, Votnin, I think of uh, teammate Jake Gardner as a comparable example, another guy who really, really battled injuries. And it, it kind of feels like the, the bottom has fallen out on his game uh, as he's approached 30. And Votnin's in, in that same age range, also has the uh, the Ducks pedigree for, for whatever that's worth, the, the synchronicity of that. Um, I would have just pegged him for a, a Jake Gardner type contract in a normal circumstance, but this mm -hmm. not being a normal one, I think that it's going to be much tougher. Like there's going to be money for the top guys, but the middle guys are not going to get those mm -hmm. four, $5 million AV type deals. So he's probably looking at a prove it deal unless he can prove it in a big way this summer. Yeah. I, I think you could be right there. That's uh yeah, you're bringing me around on it. I, I can definitely appreciate him fitting in with uh, the list of guys we have going here. Okay, so who is next up on your list, Alex? Uh, I think the next name on my list would probably be, and I think there's two of them that kind of go hand in hand, and that's the uh, 
Nashville Predators wingers, but especially Michael Granlund, uh, who seemed like a big get for Nashville, uh, trading only Kevin Fiala for him. But looking back on that year, on that trade, doesn't look all that great now because Fiala's putting up points and Granlund isn't. So Granlund hitting the open market now. If he can find a little bit of postseason success and chemistry on the line that I think they have now with Duchesne and Turris. Turris also needs to bring up his value because he's bottomed out at this point. But uh, at least for him, he's not a free agent unless he gets bought out. But uh, I think Granlund and Smith to an extent as well, they both had disappointing seasons. They both uh, need to put up some points for a Predators team that's kind of been starved for offense for most of the year. And I think they have a lot to lose as those kind of middle guys that might not get their same money with a flat cap. But if at least Granlin can prove that he's actually one of those guys that belongs in the top tier, then there's a lot to be gained. Yeah, what, what in the hell happened to Granlin in Nashville? He just completely fell off a cliff. Like last year, he did nothing at five on five. I think he had one assist in 16 games. And then this year it was an an improvement, but you almost couldn't help but improve. And so he drops from a guy who was right up around that first line to second line type scorer at five on five, where you're averaging in and around two points per 60 minutes. Um, and he dropped all the way down to 1.38, uh, which is like third liner, fourth liner type stuff uh, in Nashville. And some of that, like you look at his individual points percentage, it's all the way down at 57% this season. And he's used to being a guy who is running things for a team. So is it just a case that they've basically moved him off the puck and tried to turn him into a shooter and it just a complete lack of recognition of what he is? Yeah, I, I really have no idea what uh, is going on with him. And looking at the normal stats, looking at line mates, looking at where he's lining up on the ice, uh, offensive versus defensive zone starts, all of that. There's nothing that really jumps out as a good reason why he has struggled in Nashville. Uh, the even more frightening thing is his secondary assist percentage this year is double what it's been in previous years, which shows that he's even been lucky this year in terms of putting up some extra points. So that's terrifying if you're somebody that's banking on him in fantasy leagues for a rebound. I I really don't know what happened to him. I mean, he's 28. He should be right in his prime and he's put up points before he has the talent. We've seen that. I, I just don't know what happened to him that he uh, fell off a cliff. And I think for his sake, hopefully he can uh, figure it out and put up some more points again. I don't know if they need to run things through him a little bit more, if he needs to touch the puck more, if he needs to be uh, on the ice as a center versus a winger or vice versa, if he needs to start more in the defensive zone so he can rush instead of more of a cycle game. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but uh, nothing's really stood out to me at this point. But 
if it keeps going as it's going, he's going to need to sign a much smaller prove it deal than uh, what we would have expected from him a few years ago. One of the things that struck me is his use on the power play, which I think last year they were looking at him to be a spark. And so mm-hmm. they were, they were running a lot through him on the half wall and he produced a, a, a reasonable amount of assists, but still not to the level of what he was doing for the, uh, for the Minnesota wild over the previous three seasons. Like he was up around six points per 60 on the power play in Minnesota and he was down to four. And I mean, part of that, I think the Nashville power play is just terrible. Like mm-hmm. I they, they have not been able to figure that thing out um, for years. And this year, just even worse. He's down to two points per 60 on the power play. And they started using him as a net front guy. So his, his goals per 60 go way up on, on the power play. But his assists just completely plummet. He's just not even touching the puck at all, except mm-hmm. for when, like, on rebounds or any time uh, – like a shot is missed by Yossi from the points. It's apparently that they're, they're determined to have that as their main mm-hmm. source of offense on the power play. And it just, yeah, it, it's, it's totally ugly. And it, um, it does, it really doesn't make any sense. And I, I guess the only thing working in Granlin's favor is the fact that David Poyle staked so much on bringing him in, in making that Kevin Fiala bet. Um, and so the fact that he hasn't fit in, I wonder if, if he doesn't just, you know, continue to make that bet and so that he doesn't uh, essentially turn out that he traded Fiala for nothing if, if Granlund walks. Yeah, I wonder if Granlund would want to stay or if he would want to try and recoup some value elsewhere, uh, taking a one-year deal and what might be a, seen by him as a better fit somewhere that he can bring up his value instead of kind of continuing to try and jam the square peg into a round hole in Nashville. Yeah. It also seems like a bit of his role was replaced by Matt Duchesne. Like they, they handed Duchesne all the money in the world to bring him Mm -hmm. in as a free agent. And suddenly he's the guy who they want to run everything through on the half wall on the power play. And I can understand making that bet. Um, Mm -hmm. It just, like it, it still hasn't helped their power play and Granlit's not producing. So yeah, he, he is in dire need of showing something, but I think that, I think that he, he still could get some kind of a legacy deal from, from someone, if, if not Nashville, just because of how much was, was put into him. But I mean, he was probably a guy who was hoping to get Matt Duchesne type money. Uh, as he came to free agency and that is not going to happen no it's it's definitely not at this point um so next up on my list was a guy who to a certain i mean he hasn't directly replaced him but uh, to a certain extent has has replaced him in minnesota and that's alex galchenyuk who i i just think that it could be it for galchenyuk uh, in north america like i don't know if he's going to the khl or if he would go to another european league but it just seems like we know that galchenyuk is capable of producing flashes of brilliance but like 
optimizing Galchenyuk doesn't lead to winning. And I'm not even sure rostering Galchenyuk leads to winning. And it, it just seems like he's probably headed for more money overseas because I can't see a team giving him anything more than a minimum deal unless he shows something explosive in these playoffs. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's really much left to be seen from him. I don't know how high he would be able to bring his value. Even if he goes off for whatever, 10 points in six games or 15 points in 10 games or however many games he ends up playing, I, I still don't know if he ends up getting a good contract out of that. Does somebody really want to sign Joel Ward and his uh, great play single playoff uh, performance to a big deal right now and have it uh, flop with the flat cap. I I don't know if there's even uh, anywhere to go up for Galchenyuk at this point. I think he would have to take another uh, kind of small prove it deal and show it over a full regular season at this point, because there's just been so much disappointment over the last few years. Yeah, I just think that we've seen time and time again that NHL GMs will see that one flash and it's all they need to talk themselves into doing something irrational. And <laughs> with a guy who has the pedigree of Galchenyuk, like it would be so easy to talk yourself into giving him $3 million in, instead of a minimum deal even if it's on a, a short-term deal. Like, I don't think he's – he's not headed towards breaking the bank. Uh, he, he could score five points a game in, in the playoffs, and I still don't think he would uh, he would be heading towards more than $3 million. But I think that he could get himself into that range and stick around in North America. I mean, frankly, just even being able to stick around in North America might hinge on him producing in these playoffs. And that's that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, yeah, you could be you could be right that that's the high water mark is just being able to sign a new contract next year, even if it's one or two million for him, and not uh, not going back to the KHL or going to Europe or something. I, I don't know if we know if he wants to go there or if, where he wants to end up, but it, it seems like having been here long enough, he would want to stay. So yeah, it's it's pure we'll speculation it's on my part. Pure speculation. Mm. I, it just it feels like that's where it's headed with the with the downward trajectory. Like if you can't produce with Malkin, I, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I feel like I could produce with Malkin. Uh, it just bank pucks off me, buddy. Just bank pucks yep. off me. <laughs> He's good enough to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, who's next up on your list, Alex? I think. Uh, I don't know if John Chaika really counts. It seems like he's on his way out anyway. Uh, so I think we, we already touched on the Islanders a bit already with their cap issues. And I'm going to circle back on that and say that, uh, Lou Lamorello is on a bit of a hot seat just with the mess he's put them in and that he needs some good results because it seems like he's going to be done soon. Uh, just being his age, I don't think he has too many years left in the tank. And I think that uh, seeing some success out of the team that he's building is paramount at this point, because otherwise they're just going to be stuck in 
neutral kind of on the playoff bubble for years if they don't kind of see a step forward right now. So I think there's there's some uh, pressure. Not that Lamorello would be losing his job, but just putting pressure on himself. I think there's uh, there's a lot to be lost and uh, a lot to be gained by the Islanders and just seeing a step forward under the Lamorello regime if they can put something together at this point. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that they they carried a lot of favor with the huge improvement they made in year one of Lamorello and, and Trotz going to the second round of the playoffs. They they dusted off the Penguins in round one last year and you know showed that we could play this style of uh, of defensive hockey, but still win games and, and still be entertaining enough. And it seems like they're getting their arena deal figured out. And just I don't know. I think that the like Lamorello's legacy is fairly cemented to the point where I think that unless you're he goes to a situation like he was in in Toronto, where they had clearly been grooming Dubis for the head job. Um, that's not what he's dealing with in with the Islanders and unless ownership goes and does something crazy, I think that they, they have forever proven that they, they actually commit to their GMs for a very long time. Garth Snow held on to that job <laughs> for forever. And before him, it was Mike Milbury who was able to string together plan to plan to plan to plan as uh, the team jumped from, from ownership group to ownership group. And if anything, um, I think Lamorello's got one of the more secure jobs, but I, I think your point is is well taken that it's not so much that he's going to lose his job or or get retired to the president's chair, uh, as we've seen other other people uh, be pushed into uh, other roles in the past. Um, it, it's just the fact that they painted themselves into this corner, and it's going to be interesting to see how they dig themselves out. Yeah, I think that's generally it. Just the fact that Lamorello uh, is looking to win another cup before he retires, I think. Yeah, I don't see that happening. Yeah, we didn't see a lot happening this uh, this year, so who knows? Oh, yeah, let's be clear. My prognostication abilities are horrible. You can count on me to be a moderately good projector of uh of fantasy hockey some some folks have won some pools using my rankings but beyond that like my my betting track record is uh is spotty at best yeah especially my playoff uh betting track record uh, doesn't have too many gold stars on it <laughs> no it's a tur- turns out it's uh it's it's fairly unpredictable um yeah. next up on my list i'm looking at uh vladislav nemesnikov as a guy who yeah, he could maybe be bordering on whether he sticks around or not, uh, similar mm-hmm. to Galchenyuk, because we talk about a top six scorer who has seen their numbers fall off a cliff. Uh, Nemesnikov, he fits the bill as well. He goes from playing on the top line and putting up second line type numbers uh, on the top line in Tampa Bay to going to New York and just like absolutely no fit whatsoever. Didn't do much in Ottawa. And then in limited use, only saw nine games in Colorado, but he, I mean, definitely PDO bump through the roof. 
but he scored two and a half points per 60 in his nine games in Colorado and, and was seeing some top six minutes with, with Nathan McKinnon and even, even some dashes of um, top power play usage just as that team went through crazy injuries. So if he finds himself on a top line and can produce a little, I think that he figures out a way to stick around and maybe even keeps himself in Colorado, they've got lots of money to spend. Maybe they they determine that he's a long-term solution for them. Yeah, he, he could have uh, definitely a lot to gain by a solid playoff. I don't think the highs are too high for him. Uh, but you're right, we have seen him succeed. I think it was all the way back in Tampa Bay. He put up some excellent numbers on a top line with Stamkos and somebody else. Uh, so we have seen him do that before. And he does fit in well in Colorado just as somebody that can move up and down the lineup and play different roles. And yeah, a good set of playoffs from him. We expect Colorado to go deep. So there's a chance for him to show uh, something good in that run. And yeah, he could do well with that and net himself. I think term might be uh, the better thing for him. I don't think he's going to go too high money wise, but if he can land a, three four-year deal at three million and set himself up then that would be uh probably best case scenario yeah i was thinking something similar to the bridge deal that he signed and somewhere in the range of uh of a flat cap jonas donskoy type deal Mm -hmm. yeah I, i could agree with that uh so who's next up on your list alex i i think max domi has to be brought into the conversation i know i touched on him earlier but uh, i i really do think there's a lot to be lost or gained with him due for a big deal he's gone through his bridge deal he's very close to unrestricted free agency and he's had a lot of ups and downs so far in his career and i know the montreal canadians aren't expected to do a lot in the playoffs and Domi's coming in a little colder than everyone else after having sat out uh, as a bit of a precaution at the start of camp due to his uh, type 1 diabetes. But I think there's a lot that can be lost or gained by a good or a poor performance, even if it's just three games uh, in the playoffs for him because there's not really anything to go on there for him. So whether it's with Montreal long-term, it should be as he's still an RFA with them right now. But uh, there's probably a few million on the table that uh, he could gain or lose on a long-term contract at this point. And he absolutely exploded in year one uh, for them scoring like elite numbers 2.8 points per 60 at five on five in that first year and obviously like a huge PDO bump there but this is a team that really really struggled to score at five on five as much as they can push the shot rates um and then this season he kind of fell back down to earth and their their power play isn't uh, isn't particularly strong and he's a piece on it but um they they changed their parts so often that uh, that I'm not sure whether or not he's going to be a key piece for them there. Um, yeah, I wonder if he isn't looking at, uh, at maybe a little bit of a shorter term type deal 
um, instead of the the type of long term. Hey, this guy's a part of our core. Uh, d depending on on how he does in these playoffs, I, I don't really know. I don't know if it, if it's even possible for him to to earn that type of seven eight million dollar eight year deal that uh, that maybe uh, he might have commanded after after year one in Montreal. Yeah, I don't know if uh, seven would be quite on the table or eight at least, but uh, I think mid sixes maybe up to seven could be realistic if we see uh, some good production from him but uh, if he doesn't and he flops or something then he could be down four or five probably not four but maybe in the five million dollar range and maybe a little less term on that as well I, I wonder if the Darnell Nurse kind of comparable he just takes a two-year uh, still a decent amount of money but takes a two-year deal and just walks himself right to unrestricted free agency, and he can kind of have a bit of a bidding war from there as the cap might start to just creep up. I don't know if Montreal would really be willing to lose him that way, but uh, I don't know if they have a lot of negotiating power at this point either on their end, just kind of how they're spinning their tires. So it's it's an interesting case study all around I think uh, with Max Domi and the Canadians both on each end there yeah I, I kind of view his situation in a similar light to where Ryan Nugent Hopkins is in Edmonton where they thought hey this is going to be our number one center for forever and then turns out not not number one center type material but um capable of being a first liner just not uh, not the driver of that mm -hmm. and he ends up like he's probably going to get I don't, I don't know what your projections are but he's probably looking at seven eight million as a top line type winger and we've seen that domi can produce like that so that's where i get into the realm of him getting that type of contract long term and I think that's the only way that you get him to sign a long-term type deal. But I'm just confused as to what you give him on a short-term deal and what the calculus would be for the Canadians. If you know, like, if you don't think he's the answer to your to your number one centerman issue that they've had forever, um, do you just kind of go short-term with him and then hope you can continue doing what you're what you've been doing and in, in cobbling together that number one centerman until you find one that you you can actually spend real dollars on and so you don't commit to domi long term um and, and tie up that money but at the same time like the going rate for a top line winger seven eight million would still be fair and reasonable for him yeah yeah i think uh my projection has him at uh, about 6.4 which I could see on a maybe not quite six, seven year deal, but uh mid range term anyway, maybe he goes the five years that uh, Marner and Matthews and them have kind of been looking at recently and looks to cash in again when he's 30 and that could uh, work for him works for Montreal, not taking up too much cap, not taking up the first line numbers and keeps him in the fold at least because he has shown that ability to 
put up points in the right situation. Yeah, so I guess for me, the the question is, how does a strong playoff performance change that? Like, I think that he's looking, he's in the age range and has proven enough in his career that he's going to get money, whether it's short-term or long-term regardless. Mm-hmm. But I guess, like, is it just the the fact that if he had, like, a great playoff performance and they upset the the Penguins, that maybe he could vault himself into that long-term type money Whereas if he doesn't, then what, what he's done to this state is probably only getting him short-term money. Yeah, I think that's generally what I was going for there. You hit the nail on the head with that okay. sum- summary. Okay, so you brought up an RFA. Next up on my list is the only RFA that I have, uh, and that's Matt Murray, because I think that he has a ton at stake. Like he had horrible season to the point where I've just about given up on him. And and it's kind of weird because like Murray has this bad year and I'm, I'm at the point where I'm, I'm ready to write him off until like he, he makes some, some real structural changes in his game, which perfectly capable of he's still young and he's, he's clearly shown that he can be a number one goalie in the past. But like a guy like John Gibson also has a similarly bad year and I've still got him having the goalie championship belt. So just weird where, where our brain goes with these narratives. But mm-hmm. I, I think the thing for me is that this wasn't really new for Murray. He was, he was bad a couple of years ago. Um, and, and the numbers bore that out. And then he actually, he had a top 10 goal saved above average last year, but he still, he was showing these, these cracks in the armor that, I'm not sure that like the stuff like goals uh, saved above average was, was picking up. Like he was giving up lots of soft goals and we saw that continue this year to the point where he bottomed out to a, a bottom 10 mark and goals saved above average. And, you know, he could still make tough saves, but it's just like the, it, it just completely de- lets the air out of your tires when your goalie's giving up soft goals and you just, you can't trust them. And the penguins uh, by clear sight analytics, uh, they were a top five team at suppressing high, mid and high danger chances this year. And yet Murray's numbers still fell off because he's just, he's just allowing these soft goals. So now he's battling with Tristan Jari, who's in, in like the same contract situation. Essentially, they, they're both RFAs this summer. And it sounds like the Penguins are going to go with Murray as their number one to start these playoffs. But I mean one slip up and Jari's in there and who knows if the Penguins even qualify Murray or if they don't just let him walk and, and figure things out with Jari and Casey DeSmith going forward, or maybe, uh, I don't know, some, some other type of, uh, of a tandem type uh, veteran goalie to pair up with Jari. Like I just said, the, the scale and the scope of what could happen with Murray this summer is wild because if he if he correct like if he if he worked on his fundamentals during this lockdown and suddenly all the soft goals are cut out and the penguins go and win another cup like how much how much money is is uh murray getting he could be looking at seven eight million a year long term and he's he's the guy and the Penguins have the money to spend on it. We touched on it in the last podcast. They've actually done a really good job navigating the cap to the point where they're not terribly hamstrung 
by the flat cap situation. So uh, I just think the the wide range of outcomes for Murray being unrestricted free agent, looking at a one-year deal or looking at another prove-it type deal from the Penguins to long-term commitment is as wide as it comes. Yeah, I think uh, he wasn't a name on my list, but he should have been. He's definitely somebody whose value will fluctuate depending on how he does in the playoffs. I think you brought up an interesting comparable with John Gibson also having not a great year, but still has the perception of being one of the top goalies. And I think that has to do with the team around him. They didn't give him much support and he still put up better numbers than would have been expected in his situation. Meanwhile, Murray was a lot worse than uh, what would have been expected in his situation. And we saw that comparable with Tristan Jari outplaying him for most of the year. So, you know, it wasn't just the team around him or some other failure on that part. Uh, We saw what uh, Murray could have done and it really does kind of rest on his shoulders, the bad numbers from this year. So he has put up some very good playoff runs before and, there's no reason he can't do it again at this point. And yeah, you're right. If he does do it again, then he's in line for a great uh, contract moving forward. If he doesn't, then yeah, maybe Pittsburgh says we don't want to have to deal with losing another goalie to an expansion team. So we're just going to either trade him off or let him go right now. And we'll run with uh, Jari and a veteran backup. Yeah. And, absolutely crazy to think how well the Penguins ended up navigating this situation with their young goalies. Like they ended up having to pay Vegas to take Flurry off their hands, which mm-hmm. in retrospect seems a little bit ridiculous. But when Murray proved that he was capable of running with the job, uh, it, it made some sense. And the fact that they didn't give Murray a long-term deal and instead you know, controlled the cap situation a little bit more and said, hey, we're going to see how this plays out uh, with with our goaltending situation and didn't commit long-term money to him. They went short-term, they they forced him to prove it, and he hasn't borne out that he was worthy of that long-term type deal. And, you know, I'm not sure that Jari gives the Penguins the same ceiling that Murray does, but, like, if you're if you're giving up those soft goals, when your team is doing a great job of suppressing chances, like that's, that's just going to completely crush you. Uh, whereas, whereas Jari, if he's just tending the store, then, you know, maybe the ceiling's not as high, but you don't always need to have that high ceiling type goaltender to win. If you can play stifling defense and the Penguins have, have proven this season that they've got one of the best shutdown lines in, in the game and they've, they've put together a great shutdown pairing with John Marino and uh, Pedersen there. So I think that they are primed to be the type of team that skimps on goaltending a little bit uh, because they have the high octane offense, but still can play some defense. Yeah, I think you are definitely uh, on the right track there. That's, this could be some of the last uh, hockey we see played by Murray and Pittsburgh possibly. Uh, if it doesn't all go well, they they have some options. They've done well in terms of not tying their hands, and uh, it kind of puts the onus on the player to either perform or we'll move on to somebody else. 
Absolutely. Uh, do you have anyone else left on your list, Alex? I, I've got one uh, little name at the end of my list. I'm wondering if you have anybody uh, you want to. I got a couple up. more, but uh, we'll we'll fire away on yours. Okay. My last uh, kind of pressure point for needing a performance in the playoffs is your uh, bumper on your car. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Don't you have a, uh, something writing on that? <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, yes, I've got, um, I've got a lot riding on the Minnesota wild being able to beat the Canucks. And, um, I'm not that confident. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I would be either. I, I feel like I have the Canucks coming out of that series. So that might be, uh, might be tough on your end. Yeah. I've already been shopping for bumper stickers. Um, for those who haven't been following along on the podcast, um, I made a bet last summer when the Canucks traded their first round pick for JT Miller. And I said that the Canucks aren't going to make the playoffs and Gosh darn it! They they seem like they're they're headed for the playoffs, and the NHL has changed their story on this a million other times. But the the guy that I made the bet with, um, we agreed that the Canucks have to win their play-in round against the Wild for that bet to come through. So I've got to roll with the Canucks bumper sticker for the rest of the year if the Canucks beat the Wild and. Let's just say I'm a wild fan. <laughs> it's a tough time to be a wild fan, I think. Yeah, not great. Uh, Devin Dubnik uh, looking like Swiss cheese. Yeah, I'm not really sure who I would run with if, as the wild goaltender right now. Do you try and go with Stalock, who was better than Dubnik this year? Do you try the hot hand youngster in Kakinen? Do you go with uh, Dubnik, who's been around the block? I think you roll with a fourth forward and just see if you can outscore the opposition. That would be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Almost certainly wouldn't work out, but uh, I'm here for it. Uh, I would be too. Uh, What else do you have uh, on your list? Last one on my list, a small one, but uh, Cody Eakin. I think that uh, the Jets have uh, we touched on it on the last podcast they've got 15 million to spend in free free agency they're they're suddenly in a situation where they can maybe take advantage of this flat cap situation for at least a year and i think a lot of that money is earmarked for the blue line and they've also got to consider that uh, patrick line and neil pionk and some other rfas are headed towards uh raises in 2021 so the window is probably pretty short for them to uh, take advantage of the cap space that they have, but uh, they've been trying to fill that number two center slot for years, every single year at the trade deadline, they trade for a centerman and slot them in on the number two line. And Eakin, I think he only played eight games with them after the trade deadline, but he scored five points all at even strength. And they were playing him with line A and Nikolai Ehlers. And this is a spot where he could absolutely bust out. And if they can knock off the flames and, and play a couple of rounds and suddenly Eakin's thrown up, I don't know, eight points in 12 games, 
uh, I think that could earn him a contract similar to the one that he's finishing out uh, versus what he might see um, if he doesn't do anything and then he's probably looking at a minimum type deal. Yeah, that's he's in a good spot and he doesn't have Brian Little coming back to pressure him. I think Little's still out for a little while longer. If I'm correct on that, I haven't actually. Yeah, he isn't it. returning to play. Uh, the the yeah. ear issue is still uh, is still messing him up, which is unfortunate to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's there's the opportunity for Eakin to do something with uh, with some solid scoring line mates. So yeah, definitely definitely an interesting spot, and that Winnipeg Calgary matchup is a toss up at this point. So. If uh, yeah, if Winnipeg does move on, then Eakin could be uh, one of those guys that possibly doesn't get squeezed out of the middle class into a minimum deal. He could still be doing well for himself. Absolutely. Um, any other lingering thoughts before we close out here, Alex? I think we covered everything on my list. Anything left on yours? No, not really. Like. We we could probably talk about Robin Lehner, but j- just because mm-hmm. even after how fantastic his year was last year, he still couldn't get a, a multi-year contract from anyone. But it seems like he and Vegas are, are ready to, to marry up long-term here. And that just terrifies me um, because that team is fantastic. And yeah. he's, uh, I think he's, one of the best context-free goaltenders in the league. He has thrived in defensive systems and not Chicago. defensive systems. Yeah, yeah, whatever Chicago was doing, um, <laughs> he thrived there as well. And he's going to be awesome for Vegas. And I think that he pushes them into contender status after Fleury had a bit of a down year. So um, they have enough cap space to to bring him back. and. I think that regardless of what he does, he he's probably going to be back there. Yeah, I I don't know if I'm fully set on uh, saying he's signed in Vegas. I think there's still an opportunity for him to do well and uh, have somebody say, "Yeah, I want to bid on him. I want him to be my goalie." I I still see a possibility of San Jose finding a way to get themselves out from under Martin Jones and saying, yep, Robin Leonard's the guy we need. Uh, he can fix our team. I could see them uh, kind of jumping on that bandwagon. But as I said earlier with Holtby, there's not really too many other holes on NHL teams that aren't accounted for for at least a starting goalie, if not uh, a platoon option. So, yeah, Vegas is definitely looking like a a good option for Leonard at this point, though with seven million already tied up for Mark Andre Fleury, I don't know how much there is left that they want to spend at the goaltending position right now for him. Yeah, it it seems like they would be shelling out a lot to to tie up their goaltending, but you also think maybe Fleury doesn't end up in Seattle as the uh, as the ball bounces to the next expansion franchise. Uh, that would be an interesting story. Yeah. Um, yeah, you mentioned that there's not a, a ton of teams that are necessarily looking for starting goaltenders. I think there's a ton of teams that are in the market for 
that mid-tier type range of goaltender. And it's just the fact that with with the flat cap and teams already kind of having either a 1A or a 1B option already established, that there's just not going to be a ton of teams out there capable of handing out a Bobrovsky type contract. Not that teams aren't looking for that type of player, but it's just they don't have the flexibility to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, going down the list, there's Chicago, I think, is out for Leonard after how they treated him. But uh, Edmonton, with Smith expiring, has room for a goalie. San Jose, I mentioned. Buffalo still needs three goalies because they have none right now. Uh, Carolina has a couple tied up for another year, but they could use a guy like Leonard. Uh, Calgary has Talbot expiring could fit in there. Detroit has Bernier and doesn't seem ready to tie themselves to a guy like Leonard, but uh, they might have a spot. Minnesota has their three-headed monster that isn't so terrifying. But other than that, there aren't really too many spots. Ottawa, maybe? Yeah, I was going to say, ironically, both Ottawa and Buffalo, his two former teams, Mm-hmm. are probably the places where he would make the most difference. Yeah. Yeah, he's. I, I don't know if he's burned the bridges or if they burned the bridges uh, in his mind, but I just don't see him going back to any of his former teams. Yeah, like I said, I think that it, it, he and, and Vegas are marrying up and uh, it's going to suck for the Oilers. And you mentioned they they could use another guy to pair with Miko Koskinen. Um, it's probably going to be Mike Smith again. They're probably going to give him way too much money um, just because of his relationship with Tippett and the fact that he did fairly well for them. And we mentioned it on the last pod, their cap situation does not allow them to make any sorts of splashes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their their hands are tied there. They wouldn't be able to fit Leonard at what he would be looking for anyway. Absolutely. So Alex, thank you so much for coming on the pod again. This was a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate um, you bringing the insights uh, that that you can with, uh, you know, your cap projections are excellent. Uh, Everyone needs to go check those out at DauberHockey.com. What is it, a a top 200 uh, uh, projection uh, with uh, some dabbling with some goaltenders as well for your model? Yeah, so the top 200 uh, free agent skaters is out uh, as the capped article from July 16th. And the goalie ones I'm hoping to have ready for some time in the fall, maybe around the same time I possibly get out the rankings uh, with the next set of uh, cap rankings. So I had the skater rankings just came out yesterday on the 25th. And the they come out every two months. So I'm hoping to have the goalie ones out, uh, I guess, two months from now as well. So that would be the end of September, possibly the 25th, 26th, release the skaters and the goalies. Oh, that'd be perfect. Right in time for free agency. Exactly. Well, this was fantastic. Alex, go enjoy some much needed time with your family and in the great outdoors. Uh, you deserve it. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate you having me on. It was a definitely a fun talk. And uh, yeah, I'll enjoy some fresh air for you. <laughs>